Hello, and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by ForConstructionPros.com. I'm Jonathan, and in this episode, we speak with Tommy Lindstroth, CEO and founder of Green Badger about green construction and environmental social governance reporting, or ESG for short. ESG includes a variety of metrics that essentially provides a transparency into a construction business, allowing you to track and benchmark and then improve across a wide variety of measures. Tavi and his team at Green Badger have published a 20-page guide on how today's construction professionals can operationalize ESG within their practices. Having worked behind the scenes and as a practitioner with hundreds of building, engineering, and related firms, the resource is a result of the experiences Tommy has had over the last two plus years as ESG becomes a more sought after factor of industry deal making, funding, and overall revenue requirement. Here's my interview. So, Tommy, can you tell me what is Green Badger? Uh, What is your role there? Sure. I'm the founder and CEO of Green Badger, and we are a software company built to help streamline and automate green construction compliance. So we're really a, a workflow for primarily general contractors to help whether they're going after something like an individual certification that has a lead requirement or far farther reaching ESG or carbon reporting requirements. So we try and make that process as, as automated and as, as easy for our user as we can. Sure. As, as so high on the management, what do you get your hands dirty at all? We're still a small company, so everybody wears a lot of hats. So yeah, I'm not, uh, besides managing the team and our, our board, uh, still very hands-on leading product development, new feature development, uh, testing, certainly still do my fair share of engagement with our customer base and, uh, our continued effort to ensure that they have a, a white glove experience with us. Sure. When you say small company, do you mean like five people? Are you working out of a garage right now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're completely remote, so I could go sit in my garage if I wanted to. We are completely <laughs> virtual, but uh, we're we're right around 10 people, sort of five on the software development engineering side and then five on the the operation side. So certainly not not huge for my headcount, but we like to think that we we punch above our weight and we're we're doing something pretty unique in the industry. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's keeping it kind of a small team really kind of makes everybody kind of wear so many hats, but everybody has to wear those hats all at the exact same time. Yeah, I think, you know, no, nobody has a, a boring day. Everybody's got got something that they're always able to to keep their their themselves busy, but they also get, get a lot of exposure and a lot of interaction to things that give you a, neat, a unique perspective on on the construction industry. Sure. Why why construction? What brought you into this role and what brought you to the Green Badger? Sure. So I can, I've been in the, the design and construction industry for the last 20 years. I started in real estate development, so actually on the owner side. And I was the director of sustainability for a company here based in Savannah. And we did development work and managed a portfolio throughout the Southeast. Uh, and 20 years ago, sustainable building and green building was not, especially in the Southeast, was not as common vernacular as it is today. So for us, we were really pushing the envelope in terms of how we designed, built, and then eventually managed a portfolio. Uh, so I really cut my teeth on you know, putting our money where our mouth was to build green buildings and see 
What does it actually take when you build a half million gallon cistern at a shopping center to use for irrigation? How do you manage that going forward? You know, how do you keep that clean and algae free? So uh, really, you know, got a lot of firsthand experience from that perspective and then moved into a consulting role where I was just helping a bunch of other folks up on the East Coast do it. And, you know, really it segmented into the design of the building and then the construction of the building. And while, you know, the design was not necessarily easy by any means, it was finite and you got a set of CDs and and you could be done. But then construction would go for years in <laughs> uh, years. And that's just, you know, you had a, a transient population just because it's it's such a long time. So project managers, project engineers came and went. A lot of this was, it was all being tracked in Excel. It was all being tracked manually. People were walking the sites with clipboards. You'd go pick up a can of paint on site to see if it was compliant or not. And so, you know, really uh, the construction side for software just beckoned because it was, it was just riddled with so many more manual processes that went on for such an extensive time versus design where I could get my CDs, do everything. And then you just sort of forget about it and you're, you're on to the next one. Sure. Has has anything kind of stood out for you to, in today's modern green construction world versus your past experience? Certainly just uh, the more commonality of it, where it used to be, what what does lead mean? What is a VOC? Like, you know, the, the industry itself has advanced where it's still not, you know, on every project, I think green construction is still only about 40% of the overall market, but it is, it is much more commonplace. So a lot of the the initial learning curve that we had to help teams work through has been reduced and certainly our software you know goes to close the remainder of that gap that's out there so it's not uh it's something i think a lot more people have experience with or if they're coming out of school it's part of it's been part of their curriculum it's much less oh this is only something that's going on in california you know it's it's just becoming a a, a common common way of building buildings sure what do you think is driving that forward what do you why do you think that is getting so more common nationwide i think there's a combination of factors one is you know lead really helps standardize it yeah there's a bunch of other rating systems i'm not you know picking lead above any other one it just is the most common framework it, it was new in 20 years 20 years ago uh 23 years ago it came out you know 1999 or something like that so i think part of it was what the heck is this thing and uh, uh, the learning curve of should we do this, should we not do this? And now it's gotten to the point where if you're a Fortune 100 company, 95% of Fortune 100 companies have adopted lead for any new building that comes up. Uh, so you've got a lot of private sector people that are just pushing it. And on the public side, it has got ingrained into code as well. So you've got almost anything that's federally funded now requires it. You've got two thirds of states require it. You've got you know, city of Boston requires lead or lead equivalent for any project over 10,000 square feet. So either by regula regulation or by, you know, private sector people pushing it, it's the, the, that's where the vast majority of development comes from. So it's, it's sort of got that now as a, just a built-in overarching project requirement. Sure. What are the main questions uh, that construction professionals ask about? What kind of assistance does Green Badger provide there? So one of the challenges that we still see is that people say, hey, we're going to use all these sustainable materials and they sort of throw it on the contractor and the contractor is like, I'm not the specifier. Like I didn't pick this ceiling tile, but now we've got to go find all of this information. Like, tell me which of these products has the has the stuff you need and we'll happily go get it. But they often get sort of just a generic spec thrown on them. And it's really tough for them it not being the specifier 
you know, to, to say, well, this is the one where we should be using because of, you know, a lead attribute. So really that's one of the ways our software comes in is it helps demystify all of that. They can just, you know, type in a brand and it'll pull up all of the products and provide all of the backup documentation. So everything that they need for a clean submittal so that they don't get stuck in a, an endless revised and resubmit loop uh, can be eliminated. So it really is a ton of time saving from that perspective. And then the other thing we often see them get hung out to dry on is really just the transparency. Because when you're using a spreadsheet, and if you're doing lead with spreadsheets, you're probably using six uh, at any given time and, and communicating updates to owners and the design team and showing that you're making progress can just be a challenge. Like who updated this last? What's new? What's different? Where do we stand? You're sitting in an OAC meeting trying to pull up 15 iterations of the spreadsheet and it's just really tough. So a lot of our dashboarding and you know 24 seven access allows anybody at any point to see, are we on process uh, or are, are we making the progress we should be making? And more importantly, if we're not, it, you don't have to wait till the end of the project. You can mid course correct. You know, a lot of these, they're, they're contractual obligations, right? It's written in the contracts. It's written in the specifications. General contractor, you know, deliver these points. And if we don't, it impacts your overall lead certification, which the owner has a contract with their client that they're trying to do. So uh, it's, it's really important. And if you wait till the end and you find out you missed something, it's really expensive and difficult to go back and try and fix that versus, okay, we're checking in 25%, 50%, 75%. And if there's ever any shadow of doubt that you might not be meeting that goal, it, it becomes really uh, actionable to go in and, and try and fix it then. Sure. It kind of seems like you're giving some, some actionable information into the contractor's hands because like you said, if the specifier says you need to do this, you need to use this, their kind of hands are tied. And I've always been kind of looking for those stories, but like, well, what can the contractor do? And it kind of seems like you're giving them, uh, quote unquote, putting a mouse in their hands, even though their hands are a little bit tied still. Yeah, I think that's a, a great analogy. I mean, we're giving them the resources they need to to keep things moving forward and to be able to communicate it up and downstream. So they can you know, share it with the subs if they need help finding that information. They can report it upstream. They can get their submittals approved faster. And at the end of the day, get that final certification with significantly less risk, with significantly less manpower than it would traditionally take you. And then you know, there, there's a final approval agency. The U.S. Green Building Council reviews all of this stuff at the end. And if you have incomplete information or bad information, they send it back. And now you're scrambling because that flooring sub has been gone for six months or eight months. And now you're trying to go back to them and get more information. Like it's just, it's not an ideal situation. So if you can, you know, put your best foot forward and uh, Green Badger really helps helps teams do that. It just, it saves you time in the near term. It saves you time in the long term, And it just really de-risks the situation altogether. Sure. Where are we at with ESG reporting in construction? Is it uh, like a standard requirement nowadays or? It's not a standard requirement. It's still, okay. uh, we're seeing it driven today by, again, the, the ultimate customer, the, the the contractor's client. So if you're working for, again, we're typically seeing it on the Fortune 100 companies. Some of the institutions of higher education are saying, hey, and it's not a full breadth ESG, perhaps. It's There's a lot of interest in carbon accounting or energy and waste uh, use and consumption. So we're seeing it fragmented bit by bit. But that, to me, just leads you, if you're going to do this little bit, you might as well do the whole thing and have a robust program. So right now, we're, we're really just seeing it 
at individual project requirement level. But I, you know, we talked to, to contractors all day, and one of them just told me literally two weeks ago that they got a sustainability, a supplier sustainability survey. And it asks them, you know, what are you doing from an ESG perspective? Are you tracking your carbon? Are you reporting it? And today it's informative. It's just, you know, the the comp, their client or potential client is just trying to see what they're doing. But they indicated that, look, we have a safety ranking. If we have incidents, it lowers our safety ranking. People will not hire us because we have this overall safety score. And if we fall below it, they don't want to hire us because they think we're safety risk. They think, as do I, that ESG is going to be the same way. So, you know, today they might just be getting a supplier sustainability survey for informational purposes. A year from now, if they're not answering those questions as well as their competitors, very well could be affecting their ability to win that job. Hmm. So what is the contractor's role in ESG ESG reporting for those that might not be too familiar? Um, how does the contractor benefit from answering those questions uh, better? Sure. So just to clarify, ESG is environmental social governance, and it's a variety of metrics that really just provide transparency into your organization. So it lets you track uh, and benchmark and then improve across a, a wide variety of measures. And there's not a, unlike LEED, where there's a framework and it's like, here's the 80 things you look at, there's six or eight different uh, ESG organizations out there. There's like literally thousands of data points. So it's really tough to say, you know, this one's the right one, that one's the right one. So I will say it is broad, but it allows you then to really focus on what impacts your organization. And for a general contractor, you know, that's going to look look very different. If you're a small regional general contractor with one office, or if you're national with 50 offices and a fleet of 10,000 vehicles or whatever the case might be. So um, ESG is going to look look different. And again, I'm going to differentiate a, an organizational ESG approach, which is saying, hey, you know, Green Badger as a company, here's how we're going to look and perform versus a client requirement for a very specific project, because those tend to be two different things. If it's for a specific project, you know, it might just be one or two metrics. As an organization, we would want to look at all of those projects. So, you know, what is our overall energy consumption impact across all of our job sites and our offices? What is our our uh, women and minority uh, makeup of subcontractors on job sites? What's the diversity within our own offices? So a, a broad ESG program will really take it, you know, sort of big picture of of everything within an organization versus a client-specific requirement at a job site could, is probably going to be very focused to what's going on uh, over just a few key metrics. You mentioned earlier that a lot of Fortune 100 companies are kind of more interested in the ESG reporting right now. Um, is there a size or a type of project that this starts at, or are we only looking at large clients? Uh, it's a mix because, again, a lot of contractors are starting to see that ESG can actually be a, a beneficial business strategy. It's not yeah. a regular, oh, I have to do this. It's, hey, I can differentiate my company. I can make sure we're high on those sustainability scores so we win more work. Your employees tend to like it because you tend to do more things and engage your employees more. It helps attract, attract and retain talent. So, you know, whether you're big or small, there's a lot of benefits to, to starting an ESG program. In terms of project requirements, though, which which was your original question, it, it definitely seems to be the larger, you know, organizations. Because what tends to happen is that 
companies ESG platforms, they evolve over time. And that's certainly how we recommend it. Like start small with what you control, then go bigger and then go bigger. Like you can't start reaching up here. Or you're going to, you're, you're probably going to set yourself up for failure. So what happened is some of these fortune 100 companies, they've, they've already had their ESG program for the last five or 10 years. So they've said, okay, we've benchmarked our offices and our employees commute. Well, what's our step two or what's our step three. And now it's like, Oh, well, it's the construction of these buildings. Like if I was not building this new data center, for my company, these these emissions wouldn't happen. So what they're doing is now moving it downstream and saying, we're going to the next step of our ESG journey. Now we look at construction. So, hey, contractor, you need to report this because it's actually, you know, you're not doing it for you, you're doing it for me. And so we're sort of just seeing that, that ripple effect. Um, but where we're also starting to see the tailwind shift is, is the broader regulatory environment. Um, you know, last year, the SEC came out with rules about carbon disclosure. The Inflation Reduction Act said if you're doing work with the federal government with as low as $7.5 million of revenue, which could be a single construction project, right? So if you're doing one project with the federal government, you've got to disclose scope one and scope two carbon emissions. So that's not a full carbon, you know, that's not a full ESG program, but it's it's part of it. It's part of what you would look at. And so those aren't in, those aren't, uh, we haven't seen those codified yet, but it's, you know, again, if you're saying, why should I do an ESG program? Well, you see the regulatory stuff floating here. You see customers starting to ask here, the, the risk is, and what's the risk of not having a program in place? Because you don't want to walk into a bid meeting and any of those people are your potential customers. And they're saying, well, how are you going to address this? And you, you don't have an answer, right? It's just a the, get, get going on a program because the risk highly, uh, it, it, to me, highly outweighs the the potential stress of, you know, setting up a new program for an organization. Sure. You wrote um, about ESG and construction for our website, forconstructionpros.com back in November 2022, and uh, put up a great question and like to post it for you here. How does ESG impact the large portion of organizations that are a part of the actual construction process? Man, using my own words against me, that's not fair here. <laughs> um, I will just, you know, I asked that question because it's the construction industry is just uh, unique compared to an office-based organization. You know, if you're a, if you're an insurance company or a financial institution, everybody's sitting in their Herman Miller chair in an office, enjoying seventy-two degree conditioned air and ergonomic workstations. If you're a contractor, you got a portion of those people in the office, and then you've got the whole other part of your organization is out on a job site. And it's, you know, right now I'm in Savannah and it's 100 degrees out. It's humid. It is not pleasant. And that's where half your employees work. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to say, hey, I'm just going to focus on our six office locations and ignore the 50 job sites because they're they're outside of, of your thought process sometimes. So can, contractors just happen to have that challenge of, our workforce is sort of all over the place in a variety of working conditions. And how do we how do we include that as part of our overall program? How do we ensure those those employees get the same wellness benefits, uh, the same you know comfortable working conditions that perhaps office based people have? And so it's just one more uh, challenge that's just unique to the construction industry. It's just that the the workforce is is not sitting in an office for the most part and. Uh, they've got to account for that because it's a large chunk of their employees. And if you look at your energy consumption and your carbon emissions, it'll be a really big chunk of it. And so it's just you know figuring out how do you do that across all of these different sites. And some cases it's easy, and some cases it can be 
even more challenging because if you're doing, you know, if you spe specialize in like tenant fit outs in New York City, good luck getting your energy consumption for that job site. You're off some, you know, some building meter. It's not submetered, and you're only there for six months. So, uh, you know, it, it just gets more challenging because it's not just, hey, we've got an office and we're going to track energy and water of this office. It's it's all of these other working conditions that the teams are are part of. Sure. Green Badger has created a guide to ESG reporting. What, uh, what would be the top lessons learned you discovered while working on the guide? Does Had anything surprised you? So the guide was really put out to be a roadmap because a lot what we've seen is a lot of paralysis by analysis. I've, I mentioned just the, the overarching number of ESG data points and the lack of a consistent regulatory framework. So a lot of people look at all of that like, where do I even start? You know what? This is too complicated. I'm just going to ignore it. And we don't want that. So the guide is really, you know, it's not 100% of everything you all must do that for every organization, but it's set up to be a roadmap. So you can say, look, I'm starting from scratch. What, what do I do first? How do I even begin to approach this journey? And, and as I mentioned, everybody's going to be at a different step of their journey. Everybody's profile is going to look different depending on organization size, location, and structure. The important thing is just to start. And really, that's what the guide is here to do. So it advises on, you know, how do you put together a team? Uh, one of the things that we've seen, and, and I'll say that that was one of the surprising part, is you see that ESG often gets thrown at the sustainability person. And there's a big focus on the E, and it's the energy and it's the carbon. But you've got the whole social component, you've got the whole governance component. So, you know, your ESG team has... HR, it's got legal, it's got IT, it's got C-suite. So we've actually seen it be a great unifier because we often see those functions are really siloed and your, your field teams aren't talking to HR unless they're in trouble or something, you know? So being able to get everybody together and say, all right, this is the vision. How do we do it? Okay, now we've got a cross-functional team that can help us do it. And then, so that's a big portion of it. And then where do we start? And we, we lay it out in three tiers, but call it what you will. And it, it goes back to what tier one, start with what you control, right? I might not know, you know, what my subcontractors are doing, but I bet I have the utility bills for my office. Or if I have a fleet, I have a, I have a gas card and I can pull the fuel data for the last year, or I know what my workforce composition is and uh, from a diversity perspective. Like those are things that are, maybe they're not sitting right on your desk, but you could poke around and, and relatively quickly get those. So, you know, we advise start there, build a framework around what you've got and benchmark that. Then you can move into, okay, well, what do we, what do we control, but might not be at our fingertips? Something like, you know, that's where you start to get to the job site. Probably people haven't been tracking job site energy consumption, uh, but they could, right? You're paying that bill and it's something you could standardize. Tracking MWBE on every job is something you could do. You know, there, there's, there's things that you might not be doing today, but are still within your control that, after you've hit that step tier one, let's go that to step two, to tier two. And then finally, tier three is really, okay, we've done a good job at one and two. Now let's go to what do we influence? Well, you know, we can't tell the subs what kind of car to drive. We can't tell the subs this and that, but we can influence them and we can ask them to participate in the process. So really, we're just trying to build out, you know, start small, continuous improvement and continue to grow. And really a big emphasis that it does start with benchmarking, right? It's really tough. People love getting to tactics. Tactics are the fun part. Like, I want to put in EV chargers. I want to do this. I want to do that. Well, sure. is that the right thing to do, right? Until you benchmark and know where you're going, it's really tough to set goals. Uh, so you need to benchmark, then you set goals, then you implement the tactics that go to your goals. Uh, I mean, anecdotally, I was having a conversation with another contractor uh, a couple of weeks back, and he was, you know, he was really excited they were going to 
tackle business travel and thought that everybody going to the project sites was going to be just this big portion of their footprint. And then they benchmarked for, for a year and they're like, my goodness, it's like less than 2%. Like, why would we spend all this effort trying to address business travel when it's just when we have so much more opportunity and low hanging fruit in other areas? But if you didn't benchmark that, you're just throwing tactics at it, which, you know, is is fun because it's it's actionable, but it's we'd highly recommend benchmark first, use that, and that will develop develop those actionable insights for you. I saw online that the Green Badger team just returned from the Advancing Decarbonization Conference. What can you tell me about the event and are there any major takeaways? Sure. The event was really focused specifically on carbon and construction. So embodied carbon of material, carbon of operations, supply chain carbon. So it was not a full-fledged ESG uh, conference, but carbon is really important. It's one of the hot button talking points and it is is really important. So this was the second year I've been to the event. So to me, the key takeaway is that it is becoming, you know, there there was your usual big national contractors, but there was a lot of smaller and regional contractors that are really starting to to feel that this is important or they're getting asked about it from their customers. And so it reiterated that, yeah, this is important. People need to know about it. And, you know, we saw a lot of information sharing and case studies of what some of these teams are doing. So it was really, really good to see the type of progress and has everybody got it hundred percent figured out? No, but again, we can't wait for the perfect solution. We've all got to start going in our own way, in our own capacity. And it was, you know, two days of of showing teams and how they actually began to do that. So to me, it was it was very encouraging to see the uh, for from body carbon not being on the landscape maybe even three years ago. Um, the 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 growth of of understanding of it and the tools out there to help address it and the initiatives that some of these teams across the country are taking to address it was all uh, encouraging. Where can listeners download the guide? They can download the ESG guide uh, as well as any of our other resources at our main website at getgreenbadger.com. And there's a big tab that says resources. Everything is free. Uh, again, you know, really, obviously, we, we we have a software platform that can make this a lot easier, but knowledge sharing and just building building the level of confidence to address these issues is hugely important to us. We're a mission-driven company. So come download it. There's no catch. It's free. Uh, have have at it. Take all of our resources, share them, use them as you <laughs> see fit. That's the great, that's the great part of construction. Uh, there is so much resources and information out there. Um, all you got to do is just find it. So you got to start someplace. You do. And back to that conference, right? Like nobody's trying to hide what they, they do or don't know. It is it is a lot of knowledge sharing amongst these organizations. And while, yes, I think ESG can help you differentiate, uh, everyone will have their own story. And there's certainly there's no harm in sharing what's working for you or what hasn't worked so that the whole industry can grow from it. That's great. Great. Well, um, I'd like to give your, your morning back to you. Um, thank you very much for your, your time today and talking with me. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. This has been the Digging Deeper podcast by ForConstructionPros.com. You can find this episode and more on Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Megaphone, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, if you keep listening, we'll keep digging. Bye.